I'm going to share some things with you from the Word of God, and I'll, I'll just kind of jump into them. I told you that, um, that I did not want to teach out of Romans. I, I didn't want to teach out of Romans, not because I didn't want to teach you Romans. I've always said some things out of, taught subjects out of Romans. Uh, you know, I've done chapter 6, you know, uh, you know how Christ brings us into relationship with him through his death and our, and our death uh, to what we were. And, and I, uh, chapter 7 where we talk about, um, uh, you know, if a person, a woman's husband dies, she's no longer committed to him by that because he's dead and, and, and what God does in that relationship. And then, of course, uh, Romans chapter 8, everybody knows it. And uh, then Romans 12. So I've taught in 14. I've taught those. But those who are isolated uh, subjects were isolated in the sense that they stood alone. And, and then uh, what I've done is, is the Lord spoke to me about four or six months ago and said he wanted me to, to teach out of Romans. And I, I, was, I said yes, but then I kind of didn't do it, not because I was in rebellion. I just didn't do it. Now, having said that, I want to set that aside. Uh, Romans, it was intimidating to me. And I always tell you the truth. I mean, we've got somebody here, actually, Pastor Stan, who could teach Romans like, I mean, teach Romans. And so I was thinking, you know, why should I teach Romans? We have somebody who could do a better job than me. But then when I, but, but what we are to do is to follow the Lord, follow Jesus. Whatever Jesus wants you to do, you do that because he has a reason for doing that. And so uh, I am now in maybe the second message of Romans. And I, I mean, I'm so smart that the way I named this, uh, I just named it Romans. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like old Fredo. Y'all know Fredo? Michael, I'm smart. You know, I'm, I'm like Fredo. I'm smart. Romans chapter one, part two. You know, so let's look at it. Let's look at it because I think it's worthy of looking at. Um, in... Um, in Romans, uh, it says the just uh, or the righteous shall live by faith. So that's what Romans is saying here. Paul is saying this in Romans. We gave you an understanding of who Paul was. Paul was not a good man. Paul was somebody that we would not have appreciated nor would we have liked him. You know, he was just too much. Insolent. He called himself, he said he was insolent. You know, like uh, arrogant, um, you know, uh, thinking he was all that and, and more. But he was not. He was actually brilliant. And, uh, and it went to his head. So, but now he, is, he was totally changed by meeting Jesus. And what I'm saying to us is that we, too, must be changed by meeting Jesus. Now, if you weren't changed. Yeah, thank you. If we were not changed appreciably when we met Jesus, that, that means we need to go back and repent to him. And say, Lord, forgive me for my dullness and then allow God to do something. So when the Bible says that the just or the righteous shall live by faith, this is what it basically says to every believer here and every believer online. That God will make sure that you live a life of Christ dependency. He will make sure that you lead a life of faith. And many have taught faith as something that you get, you grow up so powerfully that you are now uh, so strong in the Lord that you just do it like on the left and on the right and uh, you're just cool with everything. 
that you never have uh, severe challenges. And uh, I'm one of the oldest persons in this room. I know I don't look like it. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> but I'm one of the oldest persons here, and I still have to live by faith. There, there are situations that come. I said, Jesus, you're going to have to help me. You know, and I live by faith because I still believe in Jesus Christ. And so what is faith? I know the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders will obtain a good report. I know Hebrews, right? So Hebrews 11. So this is what I'm going to give you some definitions of faith uh, that I hope are like working definitions. You know, sometimes when you're studying, you, you have definitions of something. That it's like they don't really work for you in the real world. Uh, you want something that you can put your hands on and, and walk it out with. So faith is a conviction of the truth of anything. You know, like, for example, you have faith in these chairs. You just come in and flop down. And I see some of you, you know, that, that's real faith, man. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. We have saved young boys here. They haven't taken the screws out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have faith. It's, it's your belief. In the New Testament, uh, it's a conviction of belief respecting a man's relationship uh, to God and of holy things or divine things. So it's uh, conviction or belief um, uh, respecting man's relationship to God. So when we talk about faith, we're generally speaking of faith in God. Uh, I basically don't have a lot of faith in things or people or nations or governments. Now you say, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I am not a skeptic at all. I'm not a skeptic. Should never be considered that. But my faith is in the Lord's ability to change things. Yeah, yeah that's my faith. Because yeah. when you and I have history with God, we have history with God. We have walked with God. And then not only do we have our history with God, we have been invited into by, by birth his history. When you, when you are born into a family, you have that family's history now. If they have a good history, you got a good history. You got a good name, right? If, if they have a bad history, you got a bad history. You have to do some work to get up from under that. But you and I have been born into the family of God. We have a good history with God of faithfulness. Amen. Amen. And so generally, uh, with this idea of, of faith is included trust and holy fervor is what my, my definition says. A holy fervor. You know, you got the fire of God, and this thing is born of faith, and then it's joined to faith. And so, so we, we, have, we hear that the just shall live by faith. So we have faith now because of, of God, because of his love for us, and because of our response for him. But now we have faith to faith, or faith for faith. So then... The faith that has brought us now has joined us with the faith. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And so this faith is a big thing. And I'm going to tell you, as one now who is growing older but still younger, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that you will grow in your faith. If you have problems now, you think, I'm just not growing. I'm stunted. You're not going to stay there if you are born of God. You will, I promise you, you will not stay there. And so uh, we have, uh, we also, it talks about faith as the conviction uh, that God exists. 
that God exists. That's faith, that God exists. It's conviction that God exists and that he is the creator and the ruler of all things. So you got this faith that God exists. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses uh, verse 6, verses 5 and 6, it talks about Enoch who had this amazing faith. He walked with God and then the Bible says he did not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. For before he, uh, he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is or he exists. So faith gives you an understanding that God exists. And so in every situation, you should bring your faith with you. That God exists. This is a terrible situation. I don't know how we're going to make it through, but God exists. This is what God wants you to know. And the book of Romans brings us this understanding. And so, but also, not only that he exists, he's the creator, he's the ruler, but the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. He is the provider uh, and the bestower, the, the one who gifts you with eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. And I want to go on record again to say that I have steered away from the, the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. I don't like the words. Uh, and I don't like the words because I have not found them in the Bible. B- but the truth is still there. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. And, and so we have to understand that he has only one salvation to give us. So we don't have to live our lives in uncertainty. So those people who said, and my friends, I had friends, schoolmates, public school, who believe, they say, once saved, always saved. But they live like the devil. And, and they thought that that, that that meant that they could live unholy, unrighteous lives and still be saved. But that's not true. Because if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Amen. 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 And so, so this is where we're coming. And so also, lastly, but not at all the least, uh, faith is the conviction, the trust, the belief that Jesus is the Messiah. That is, he is the Jews Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our Lord, our God. That's what you must believe, through whom you and I obtain, receive eternal salvation. Now, if you grew up like I grew up in a very good church, very good church, very good church, but they had us scared. They, uh, they scared us, really. Uh, they would say, boy, you'll go to hell. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't want to go to hell. I couldn't stand a match, you know, scratched under my lips, scratched. And then I couldn't, I said, I don't want to burn. I just thought the idea of burning forever and ever and couldn't ever get cool. It just wasn't cool, you know. And so they would say, you're going to go to hell, boy. Don't, you need to cut your hair differently than that. You'll go to hell for that haircut. You know, just they scared us. We're on the way to heaven, but scared about it. You know, scared all the way. And then one day, and I was like that even into my young adulthood, and uh, thinking, God, you know me, I, I, I can mess things up, and I don't want to mess things up, get right to the door, and then mess it up and go to hell. Oh, God, help me. And I used to pray like that. I used to pray like that. One day, he told me, I'm going to get you to the throne. I was so excited. I was so excited. But I didn't know about the rest of y'all. But I knew he had promised to get me there. And then one day, he took me to Hebrews 5, I think verse 9, where he says that that Jesus Christ has become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So just think about it. If God saves you, 
but the devil can take you. That means the devil is bigger and better than God. Just think about it a minute. You know, we don't have to believe that because our forefathers uh, taught us uh, what they thought was right. And uh, we found out that that was not right. So that's why Paul says in verse 16 of, of Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And when I read that, I, I was thinking, I have been ashamed of the gospel of Christ at times. You know, you're a young boy, you're, you're being raised up and you see a young girl that you like and you don't know whether she really likes Jesus or not, but you sure like her. And you don't want to tell her you're a Christian just in case. That's how that happened. Uh, maybe I'm looking around and I can see that none of you has ever had that thought. You know, and so, but I have had that thought. So, but, but Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want you to know today, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He, Paul says, for it is the power of God. It is the dunamis. It's, it, it means that the gospel, the word of God itself, is a miracle. Sometimes we're using the word of God and we're saying, perform a miracle. Say, no, man, the word that is in you is a miracle itself. <laughs> you know, it's working for you. And so he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes in that. And that means that when Jesus saves you, he then keeps you. That's what it means. And so you, you may say, but yeah, I've been saved, but I've, I've been just crazy as a bug on the ground. Uh, you say, yeah, but, but you came to yourself. There was a prodigal once in Luke 15 when uh, he wanted to do his own thing. And there's those of us who've come to Jesus, and we still kind of wanted to do our own thing. You know, I, mean, I know it's quiet out there, but, but we want to do our own thing. And then one day we came to ourselves. Maybe God had to allow us to go to the hog pen, but we came to ourselves. And, and, and you can't come to yourself by yourself. You have to come to yourself through Jesus Christ. He is God's answer for us. And now you may say, well, pastor, you're being radical. I sure am, and I like it. This is the good kind of radical. Amen, somebody. So he says, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And it says, for the Jew first. And also for the Greek. Now, many Christians have gotten that all messed up. They think that even right now, the Jews, uh, oh, you got to do it with the Jews. No, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not, what do you call it? Anti-Semitic. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not at all anti-Semitic. Because my daddy drummed things into me when I was a child. And I'm grateful that daddy drummed in. So sometimes when I was acting bad, badly, got, dad would say, son, do I have to drum this into you? I said, oh, no, you don't have to drum it in. Don't drum me. Don't drum me. You know, but, but my father and my mom, but especially dad, uh, taught me to have love and respect for Jewish people. And so I, I've, I carry that. But in this passage, he's not saying the Jews have, as it were, priority it right now because believing Jews are now part of the body of Christ, just like we are. And if, and if, and if Jews had priority, it'd be like they were, you would say, uh, oh, the right hand is the right, right hand, you know. And uh, the left hand, oh, it's okay, but, you know, we don't do that. Because I promise you, if your left, right hand is broken or, or hurt or damaged, you go, you're glad to have a left. Yes. You know, and, and you, you're glad to walk on two legs. So, so I'm saying the body is the body. But when he talks about the Jew first, Paul is telling us that they have priority. 
you know, they were the first ones that God, the people group that God selected, chose, not because they were bigger, better than everybody else, but he chose them to make himself known through them. And, and they even messed up a whole lot. I mean, a whole lot, man. You know, they, along with Rome, killed their Messiah. They messed up. But all these things were written for us. We are the new creation, and God wants us to understand. He says, to the Jew first, these things, this gospel was preached, and also to the Greek, that means the rest of us Gentiles. It says, for in it, God has something in mind, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Wow. So the righteousness of God. If you want to know what God thinks about any subject, any subject, I'll tell you what. Knowing the word of God will help you. You may say, well, well what about math? It will help you. No, it doesn't matter. I've, I've laid my hands on, on children here, young people, who, and some in, in, in college. Uh, one young woman in college came to me and she said, Pastor, I'm having a real problem with math. I'm having a real problem with math. She didn't think she was going to pass it. And, and I, with my no math self, la- <laughs> laid my hands up on her. <laughs> Rebuke that spirit. True story, right out there in that foyer. Rebuke that spirit and prophesied over that she was going to do well. Came back at the end of the semester. The pastor, I made an A. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, so the gospel is powerful. And you need the gospel before you need anything else. And parents, when you don't let your children uh, think that the gospel is just something they can uh, take or leave. Don't ever. And when they, you know, tell you what they learned in school and with playmates, don't accept it if it's not the gospel. Are you still with me, parents? It says, for, for in, uh, uh, he says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of, of God is revealed from faith to faith. But that's not the only thing that is revealed also through the gospel. The, God, the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel. So you will only know what God wants humanity to know through the gospel. He said, Don Lavelle, you're a real zealot. Call me whatever you want to, but I'm, I'm doing well with Jesus, huh? I mean, Jesus, Jesus likes what I'm doing because I'm doing what he wants me to do. And my life is given to Jesus Christ, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I don't want you to be ashamed of that when you're challenged to be what society would call a normal Christian. Now, you need to find Watchman Nee's The Normal Christian Life and, and, and follow that. But not what society says is the normal Christian. That is the Christian who compromises and, and, and does not want to offend the world. I don't want to offend the world. But if my righteousness offends the world, then let it offend the world. Right? I'm not stuck up about righteousness. But if it offends the world, let it offend the world. Now, he tells us that the righteousness of God that is through the gospel is revealed from faith to faith or from faith for faith. So that means that the faith brings you to God, your faith that Jesus is, that is the, the unmerited favor of God just came upon you as a sinner, just came upon you as it were out of the blue, just came upon you and you repented. And it came upon you uh, uh, through faith or from faith or through faith to faith, to a life of faith. 
That's what Paul wants us to understand. He says, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So God says, you will live by faith. And I know some of us thought that was an escape clause, that we would grow up so so powerfully that we wouldn't have to have faith anymore. We wouldn't have to say, oh, God, help me. Please, Jesus, rescue me. I still have to do that. I still, sometimes I say, God, you know, I I wasn't ready for this one. Uh, This one came out of left field. God, uh, you're going to have to help me. And he has always helped me. And he will always help you. The reason that the righteous uh, must live by faith or shall live by faith, because without faith, we can't please God. Without faith, you cannot please God. God wants faith people, not faithless people. So and Paul is bringing this to us. And in what we would call a didactic way, sort of, you know, like teachy, teachy, teachy. And that's what kind of bothered me about, about him. If he just kind of generalized, I'm, I'm there with you, Paul. But he's very teachy uh, uh, in this uh, book of Romans. All right? So you're going to see some of that in a minute. But without faith, Hebrews 11:6 says, it is impossible to please him. So then if you're a faithless, you can't please God. You please God through faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists. You know, and so if you come to God, you have to believe that he exists. I don't come to something that doesn't exist. I don't walk out into an open space and go, hey, God. You know, no, I come to God even in an open space because I know he exists. And not only that he exists, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. And all of us faith people here, I want you to just say with me, God is a rewarder. Come on, somebody didn't say it. God is a rewarder. And so to, uh, to those who diligently seek him, all right? And so God makes sure that his children live by faith, right? He makes sure that his children live by faith. And the Lord has been bringing me to faith, the faith, the faith. And it's been an amazing journey in that I would have faith for a, a little while, then I'd kind of lose faith. And then I'd have faith for a greater t- time. Oh, Lord, I need faith. And, I would, and so this past year, the Lord brought me into uh, some, an experience, and I've told you this several times, uh, last April, how he brought me to an experience when I said, Lord, I'll never doubt you again. And you know what? Uh, we were going to Ghana this year, like last year. Oh, <laughs> we, were, we were going to Ghana last year, and, and I got to the point a week, uh, maybe five to seven days before we were to go, we just didn't have the money, and it was too much to raise. And I panicked. I, I mean, yeah, Pastor DGL panicked. And, and then that night we came, and God brought the money that night. I said, what? What? I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed before God because I panicked. I, re- I, I knew he was faithful. He'd been faithful for 30-some-odd 30 30 odd years, 34, 5 years of missions. Never let us down. And, and why would I believe it? Because that's what the enemy wants you to do is to be faithless because he knows he can't defeat the faithful and those people who are of faith. He knows that. He's lived long enough to know that. And, and so uh, this year came up. And I, I went to the line of doubt. I said, man, God. Oh, so I'm not going to do that. I refuse to doubt. I refuse to be faithless. And, and walk through that thing so God provided again. But in, in last April, uh, it's when I had my big breakthrough. I'm glad I didn't die at 74. In, in my big breakthrough, uh, the Lord showed me 
in, a, in patterns. He deals with me in patterns, and probably all of us in patterns. We just don't see them clearly. But he's allowed me to see these patterns, and he dealt with me in a way that I said, God, you've been with me all this time. I, I knew that sort of in my head, but somewhere down here, it was a little shaky. But at that juncture, I said, I'll never doubt you again. And I believe that's where God wants to bring us, from faith for faith. Does that make sense to you? And so uh, God orchestrates, Jesus orchestrates a life of faith for each of us. He orchestrates that. He is like the conductor of the orchestra, you know, boom, to the cymbals, boom, uh, this to the trombone, and this to the whatever, you know. That's what he does. He, he orchestrates a life of faith for us. So if you're saying, man, this is hard. No, you can do it because greater is he who is within you than the resistance against you. That's what God wants you to know. He wants you to know that through your experience, that no weapon formed against you can prosper. He wants you to know that through your experience. And this is what Paul is telling us, is bringing us. And um, so no believer can maneuver him or herself around a, a faith-filled life. You cannot maneuver yourself around it. So no matter how you cry to God, this hurts, God. I used to tell that to my dad when I disobeyed. Hey, this hurts, Dad. And, and I was in the back room. You know, so, so the question for all of us is, are we resisting the growth process? So I'm, gonna, I'm saying to you today, let's not resist the growth process. All right? Let's don't resist it. But, uh, are we settling for the minimum or are we going for the maximum? And so I promise you, I'm going for the maximum. I, I want to hear, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, well done. You messed up, boy. No. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Father God, make sure that his children are living a faith-filled life. Now, I said to you that the, the, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, but, but God's wrath, the God, I mean, the gospel reveals God's wrath too, and the God's wrath against unrighteousness. God is angry with sin, and, and God has a right to be angry with sin. So I want all of us to know that. And why, I think I started to say this earlier, is that the Lord is bringing us and has brought us, I think, into a place. I don't have a definition for it. I don't have all the words for it. But he has brought us into a place to where I believe there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Absolutely no turning back. And, and in this place, I see things that I have never seen in the spirit. I, I'm seeing things that I've never seen. And I see a church that will be despised the more we're like God. We'll be, we'll be despised. And God is giving us, as it were, work to do. That's a beautiful thing. Work doesn't have to be drudgery and severe toil. Because when God made everything perfect, there was still work to do. He made everything perfect. But he told Adam, hey, man, go and, and subdue this thing. Take dominion over it. Yeah, because there's work to do. Work is wonderful. Work is a blessing. So... so God has work for us to do. It's amazing work. He has work for us to do in salvation and in demonstration. Not, oh, we are the great people in the power of God, and we see somebody crippled, get up. And they get up, and we exalt, not in God, but in ourselves. 
That's, that, that is good, and I want to see that. But, but we have work to do in bringing people to salvation, being an example of the righteousness of God in the earth. That's a work that we have to do. And we have a work to do in that God is removing us uh, from, from that world system that some of us are stuck to, glued to, uh, sort of interwoven some, in some places there. Maybe you have a great, great, great job and you have to lie on the reports uh, in order to keep your boss happy, you know, those kinds of things. And God is extricating, pulling you out of that system. So that's a good thing. And and so he is removing the shallow Christianity from us. There's a shallowness in Christianity. If if you've seen it, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. There's a shallowness. Sometimes the worldly people can't tell us from them. Yeah, they can't. So, so this is where we are, and this is one of the reasons I believe the Lord has said to me, you want to preach on Romans, all right? So, okay, so God is angry with sin, and, uh, so that's, and, and his wrath is against sin. So what does that look like? It means God is indignant against sin, uh, and uh, he is he's angry, and he is going to pour out on sin his fury, because God is holy and righteous, and every one of us who is of God are to be, each of us is to be holy and righteous. So that means that we must demonstrate holiness and righteousness in this present world. Not once we get to heaven, but right here. And this is what God wants from us. And so no more loosey-goosey. All right. And, and one thing we know that God punishes sin. This is what he's going to do. He loves the sinner. He loves the sinner. And so that's something we want to take away from this picture as well. God loves the sinner. So all of us who can get so righteous, so self-righteous that we bash sinners, you're wrong. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. All right? God loves sinners. Hates sin, loves sinners. All right. So in, um, in, uh, I wanted to say this, and I'm going to read the scripture in just a second. But God never condemns without just cause. Never. Uh, and so there are three bases uh, are stated for God's judgment of the pagan world at, at the time when Paul was writing this. And uh, the first thing that God did not pr- appreciate about uh, um, uh, this pagan world, and you are now living in the midst of ungodliness everywhere. Everywhere. Our children are living in the midst of ungodliness, and some of them think it's cool. I said our children are living in the midst of ungodliness, and some of them think it's cool. They don't, they don't see a stark distinction. And we're going to give them a stark distinction by, by living this, the Christ-filled life. And we're going to give them that. We must give them that. We're obligated to that. Not just with our words, but with our life and our demonstration. Because the world is in their ear. Are you with me? The world is in their ear. And so, so, uh, God, and so this is what the three bases um, of God's judgment of the pagan world for suppressing God's truth, suppressing God's truth, one, for ignoring God's revelation. Yeah, they, they ignored God's revelation and for perverting God's glory. That's what, that's what God, that's what a lot of this is about right now is that the world has suppressed his truth, ignored his revelation and perverted God's glory. So let's look at it now. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, this is verse 18. That is a lack of reverence and unrighteousness, injustice, and deeds that violate uh, ethical laws and, lo- and laws of justice. 
He says, so for the wrath of God, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Any act of unrighteousness suppresses the truth. Any act of unrighteousness in any and all of us suppresses the truth. So with that, it's like a cough suppression. Have you ever just cough, 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 and then you get the doctor, you get a prescription from the doc, and it suppresses the cough. So whenever you and I are acting unrighteously, we are suppressing the truth. The truth can't come out, cannot be seen, cannot be revealed. So we, you and I must not be suppressors of the truth. Amen. So unrighteousness is a truth suppressant. Remember that. And so he says um, uh, that the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth uh, in unrighteousness. In unrighteousness. He says because in un they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. So I think that what, what, what Paul is saying, this is what I think Paul is saying. Um, they'll take care of that. Uh, what Paul is saying is that God has given every person a conscience. And inside us, we know when we're doing wrong. You, you'll know you're doing wrong the first time, the second time, third time, maybe the fourth or fifth time. But after about 78, you don't even know. Maybe even 15. You don't know anymore. You, you violated your conscience, violated your conscience, and right now you love darkness. You don't want to get to that place. And that's where the world is. That's where the world is, brothers and sisters. And so I'm teaching you that this morning that you are not to be like that. And he says here in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his, speaking of God, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So the positions uh, that the world hold against God are indefensible. The positions they hold against God are indefensible. They are without excuse. Why? Because God shows you that, number one, when you look at yourself, you know, I didn't make myself. The psalmist says, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. It is he. So you know that things just don't pop up and exist, right? They don't just pop up. Uh, uh, you don't see, see men and women just, you're walking down the street, and then he just pops up out of nowhere. Guy says, I just got born. You know, you don't see that. That's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. But the world wants us to understand that. And some Christians uh, need to be detoxed. Some of us need to be detoxed. We need, to, we need some good preaching so that we, all that worldliness is out of us. So what the Bible says is that you can look at the sun, the moon, the stars, and look out there at that vast expanse. And, and even before Hubble, you know, you could say, there's got to be a God somewhere. I mean, that, that's like what God has placed in you. There's got to be a God somewhere. But now we, we sit at church and we, 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 we like to hear the gospel. We really want, want church to be a therapy session. You know, good Messiah. Oh, boy, that hurts. Thank you. That feels good, Pastor. Oh, you know, but that's not what church is to be, uh, some therapy or massage session. It's to bring us in, uh, into the knowledge of the truth of God and to keep us there. There's no way you can look at, the, at the, the firmament and say there is no God. There's just no way that you can drink water and go there is no God. There's just no way except you have 
violated your conscience and resisted the truth over and over and over again until now you're loony. That's true. Okay, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm, I want to, want, to, want to be effective here. And so, uh, and another thing too, uh, let me, uh, Paul says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. You, you know, you know the, the, when we look at uh, uh, things as they are, I mean, even science, uh, I believe in science. But I know, according to the gospel, I didn't come from an amoeba. I was not at one time an amoeba or a paramecium. I remember those two words because, boy, I had to have, know the amoeba and the paramecium to pass biology. I didn't come from that. I came from the, the, the voice of God, the mouth of God. He scooped up some clay and made us and breathed in our nostrils, and we became living beings. That, that's what the Bible. So, so, so it, when we send our children to be educated, we have to teach them the ways of God because that the that system, the world system, not the world, but the world system, is antithetical to God. It's against God, and because the world system has rejected God, you say, "Well, you sound like one of those old zealots." I don't think so, but I don't mind being labeled with them if they're preaching the truth. And so this is what I, I want us to really grasp here, is, is, that, is that God has, has made us. Now, uh, if we want to think about the Big Bang, and I've heard Christians debating with non-Christians about the Big Bang, and uh, they're saying, I don't believe in the Big Bang. I, go, I don't have any problem with the Big Bang. Uh, now, really, I don't. I don't have a problem with the Big Bang. Because the Big Bang just says there was somebody who heard the voice of God saying, let there be, you know. And so that's the Big Bang. Yeah, the Big Bang. Let there be. <laughs> You know, because if the big, I, if the person who's atheist and says, I don't believe in God, but they believe in the Big Bang, that's crazy. You don't believe that there's a living entity because if, in fact, we could just lay what I'm saying aside just for a millisecond, the Big Bang then is God. Because what was before the Big Bang? Nothing. You don't even know what nothing is because the nothing you call nothing is something. We're not there yet. Are you still with me, believers? Can you give me a little bit more of your time? Seriously, I don't want you to be, feel forced to say that. Can you give me a little bit more? Okay. What about over here? They, they're not saying anything. Okay. Monday? Oh, no. Oh, wow. Thank you, Pastor Jackson. And, and by the way, I wanted you to think that that, uh, that Spanish you were speaking earlier, that excelente, we, we got it. I mean, we, we got it, boy. We understood it exactly. Excellente. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, wow. Espanol. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Okay, so, so Paul talks about the Gentile sin. Now, remember, Paul is addressing the church at Rome. This, this has Gentile and Jewish believers, but a great number of Gentiles. They got saved. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're running out of a burning house, Nobody needs to tell you you need help. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's Gentiles. That's my forebearers and your forebearers. Yeah, but we may have come from different continents, but we were coming from the same sin. And so, so he goes on to say, let me see. He says, so they're without excuse. I'm sorry. Let me think. Okay, the God, that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal 
power and Godhead. So um, they are without excuse. I think that's what I'm saying. He said, because although they knew God, they knew God at one juncture. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. That's worthless. So, so when they knew God, they, 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 they did not recognize him as God. They wouldn't say, oh, you're God. They didn't glorify him. They weren't thankful to him. And so as a result, they became futile in their thoughts or worthless. And Paul says, number two, their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, man, because man rejected God, he became morally senseless. He lost his mind. That's the truth of God. It's not just an unwarranted accusation. He was morally senseless. And you and I will be morally senseless if we try to put God on a shelf somewhere and we're going to live life without him. He said, professing to be wise, they became fools. That's so I see it. May I say this? And I want to say this very carefully. I see it in academia. Let me just be straight. There are some things we need there. I mean, there are some things we need. We need. I, I'm telling you we need. I, I believe in education. I got some of it. And I'm always studying and reading and, and learning. I'm always. Because I can be a better pastor if I study and read and learn and know what's out there and know what's in this Bible that I can give to you. It, you know, but, but so much of it, is not healthy. And I'm saying this because we have young people here who are going to go off to university and I want them to go. And I want them to learn everything they can and can all the good stuff. But this is what I do know. Do not leave the gospel. You will regret it. Do not lose, leave the gospel. Do not take the world's position in anything against the gospel. That would be the beginning of your demise. Oh, you may look like you're doing well, but you won't be doing well. He says here, they professed to be wise, but they became fools. And changed, this is what happened, because they rejected God, changed the glory of the incorruptible God or the immortal God or the, the God who cannot decay or the, cannot cease to exist. They changed his glory into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. I've been to, to places where idol worship was really big, and they got all these false gods. Can you imagine? Here you are, you're desperate for something, and then you cut down a piece of wood, carve it, and say, now you are my God. I feel like getting out of this chair right now. That's crazy. But that's what man did. Now, we don't do it like that so much anymore. We just, con we don't take our knife and carve it. We conjure up something in our heads. Yes. 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 We, we need to fight that. Yes. Now, what has happened, so many of us have become so accustomed to thinking like the world that we think thinking like Christ is something's wrong. And when somebody were to, were to preach like I did, by the way, I didn't want to preach this message. I talked to God about it. I didn't want, I said, Lord, I'm going to have to deal with some bad stuff, tough stuff here, and people don't even like me, blah, blah, blah. He said, I want you to do it. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It says, so when they did all these wicked things, turning the, the, the glory of the incorruptible God into 
things that, that are made, he says, verse 24 says, therefore God also gave them up. Now that's, I want you in your Bibles, uh, verse 24, Romans 1, 24, just, just if you color, just color or underline it. Therefore also God gave them up. God gave them up. And, uh, to, and what did he give them up to? That is, they insisted. They were dogmatic about it. They were adamant. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to do. We're not going to recognize you. We're not going to give you glory. We're not going to honor you. Uh, uh, we, this is what we want to do, he says. So God gave them up. And, and what did he give them up to? Uncleanness. He was stop, trying to stop them. So this is the world that we have today, brothers and sisters. I know somebody's going to say, Don Lavelle has flipped the switch or whatever they call that. Uh, he's nutty. Don't listen to him. But this is the gospel. And this is what we're going to uh, present to uh, men and women from this moment onward. And if we don't, we're on the side of the evil that is encroaching upon our fam families, our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones. This is what we're doing. So let's look at it some more. So God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, the lie, not just a lie, the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen, Paul says. Now, can you imagine, you know, here you are, uh, you gave someone, let's just say, uh, a gift, a beautiful gift, and you, you gave them the gift, and they take the gift and say, I want to thank you. For, for, for being in my hands. And you never look at the giver. You know, oh, I just want to, I just like this gift, this gift. But you never say thank you to the person who gave you the gift. Amen. That's what mankind did. And they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The lie. What is the lie? The lie is that creatures like us people who are, who are made can exist independent of God. The lie is that we can live self-sufficient lives. The lie is that we can be self-directing and self-fulfilling. That's the lie. That's the lie that they told themselves then, and that is the lie that the world system is telling today, and they're telling it to our children. And many people don't like what I'm preaching. They don't like this kind of gospel. This is the gospel. You see, because Paul says in the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed and the wrath of God is revealed. All through the gospel. All right. Are we okay? Okay, let me, I'm going to be coming to a close in, in, in a moment. All right, in a moment. And if somebody's roast burned and then you can prove to me you're roast burned, I'll buy you another one. Verse 26, for this reason, okay, for this reason, God gave them up. So the second time, he gave them up. Abandoned them. He just abandoned them. He said, wait a minute. I'm going to let you have what you want. This is what you want. I'm going to let you have it. And that's the judgment of God. The judgment of God is giving you what you really, really want. You want to live a life without God? One day you're going to have an eternity without God. But he he's gave his son so you wouldn't have to go there. His only begotten son. He gave him. And his son willingly gave his life. No man took it from him. He willingly gave it. That's, that's, that's what God did for us. But listen what he says. For this reason, God gave them up, abandoned them to vile passions. Vile passions. So everything you see vile in the world, it came because man didn't want God. 
It didn't come because God wanted it that way. Even for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing, committing, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And this is what he says. It says that the women exchanged the natural use. Somebody said, well, pastor is a homophobe. I'm no homophobe. Everybody who knows me knows that I, I have loved homosexuals. And I've, I've met with homosexuals. You didn't know they were homosexuals. I did. And I loved them. I gave them an embrace and told them how much Jesus loved them. And, and, I, pers- and I said to one person, I said, it, it, the person said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. I said, don't tell me. Uh, I need to tell you something. Said, tell me after several sessions. Okay, would you? And after several sessions, the person said, I got to tell you now. I got to tell you. I'm a homosexual. I said, I always knew it. God revealed it to me. I said, but that was not my issue. My issue was your heart. My issue was to bless your heart. My issue was to help you with your situation. We'll deal with the homosexual uh, thing later. I said, but I want to deal with you. I want to show you my love. I want to show you the love of God. I love you. And that's what God is saying to everybody who is misusing their body. God loves them. And he doesn't like us. Pointing the finger, ah, you're bad. You know, you got all those things pointing back at you. God didn't tell you to be, go out there and bash people, beat people, talk ugly about people. God loves them. That's why he sent his son. But he's still wrong. And so you and I are not to say it's right when it's wrong. I can't be a Christian and, and dispute God and then somehow dispute what Jesus has done on the cross is impossible. I cannot be a Christian. And I would go as far as to say, and I know this is as radical I've probably ever been in this church, but I would go as far as to say, you're not a Christian yet. When you stand and defy God over and over and over, and you take the side of the world against God, I can't imagine in any scenario, it's not possible for me to imagine my wife taking somebody's side against me. Boy, we need some elder intervention up in here. I can't imagine it. Yeah, she can say, uh, I'm not going to say anything about this, but she can't be taking my, to somebody else's side. Mm-mm. Ain't going to happen, as they say. So, so. So you cannot take the devil's side and say you belong to Jesus. I'm saying these are tough issues, but we must address them. If you've got a child or loved one who is into homosexuality, you don't say, that's all right, baby, I love you and God loves you. That's okay to say that, but you can't leave it there. you got to say something like, but you need to change. But you need to go to God. That's how you handle this, believers. There is a way to handle this thing. But we have to be open about it. And, uh, and as I said to you before, I didn't want to teach you. I said, Jesus, I don't want to teach this. I'm going to make somebody mad at me. I don't want anybody to be mad at me. I, I mean, you know, I believe it, but I don't. He said, teacher, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so in verse 28, it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in knowledge. So the scripture is, you didn't want God in your mind, in your head. You didn't want to retain God in, 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 in the knowledge of God. You didn't want to retain the knowledge of God. That's what happens here. 
Somebody may say, well, I, I, I know I like, I love God, but you just changed everything. So he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a debased, a low mind, a disapproved mind. So then now, you know, it's sort of like God telling you to do something and you say, again, you say, uh, no God, and he tells you to do it, you no God, and he tells you to do it a fourth or fifth time, no God, sixth time. And then after a while, you said, no God, that's all you got is no God. Did you hear me? You have no God. That's what this is about. And, and, and again, the reason I'm preaching this is because God has brought the church to our place. Now, every church in America or the world may not appear to be where, where God has brought us, but God has brought us into a place where the truth must come. We are not suppressors of truth. And, and the church should never be that. Okay? Okay, so let me tell you what God did. Uh, he, he gave them over to a debased or disapproved mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. And so verse 29 says, uh, sexual immorality. Uh, that was one of the first things Paul on this, sexual immorality. Uh, uh, wickedness, that means unrighteousness. Covetousness, you know, wanting things that are not yours. Maliciousness, being mean, crazy. Full of envy, wanting, uh, you know, you don't want somebody to be praised and you want to be, you know. Uh, murder. Murder comes from this, not retaining God. Uh, strife, uh, deceit, evil-mindedness, evil-mindedness. I had boys I told you grew up with, they're just evil-minded. Some of them, most of I grew up in a Christian community, but there were some boys on the periphery, and boy, they were bad. They just want to get into trouble just to get into trouble. Yeah. And I knew, I, could, I couldn't do that, man. Hey, man, let's go, let's go knock the windows out of that guy's house. Something, something crazy like that. Say, no, oh, he ain't home. No. Man, my daddy will knock something out of me if I do that. I have the fear of God and dad. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. But they were evil-minded. And I know some of y'all out there, you know, you've known some of these evil-minded dudes. And I mean, there were a few evil-minded girls, I imagine. Maybe not as many as boys, but there were a lot of evil-minded evil boys when I grew up. Uh, it said they are whisperers, you know, people who just always telling some little, somebody's secret, backbiters talking behind somebody's back. Then haters of God, just hate God because he's God, you know, violent, proud. Pa Paul says he was insolent. He said, I was an insolent man. He, what he's saying is Paul was saying that he was uh, arrogant, you know, rude. You know, yeah, he was crude too. And he's been, he says here, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. That's just, that one's crazy to me. Number 16, inventors of evil. That means that you have been so baptized into evil that now you come up inventing stuff. Stuff that wasn't before. That's the world that we have, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah, somebody. And then he says, disobedient to parents. This, can you imagine? These, these two people brought you forth. Now you're going to tell them what to do. Man. Wow. Don't let me have that kid. Yeah, don't let me have that kid. If you got a child like that, keep him from around me. Because if you tolerate that, I don't want to be around with you. Because I may not have faith not to hurt you. That, you know, disobedience of parents, you, you're aiding and abetting that child going to hell. And you, that, you say you love them? No, you got to correct them. If you, don't, if you don't love them, you won't correct them. If you love them, you'll correct them. Disobedient parent. I'm almost done, everybody. Undiscerning. Cannot tell, distinguish 
truth from error anymore. Untrustworthy. Nobody can trust you. Unloving. A lot of these uns get you, don't they? Unforgiving. Unmerciful. That was 22 of these things that Paul listed, and that's not even all of them. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, the devil has so deceived people that they are partying and living depraved lives and don't even know it's depraved, thinking that they're having fun, but they're on their way to an eternal hell, and they don't know it. What deception. We are alive in order to do something about it. Brothers and sisters, if you don't like being a Christian, that's a terrible thing. And you and I, have we are salt and light, and we have to be salt and light. We have to be salt and light. Yeah, that's what God made us. So don't be judgmental. Now I'm going to read something from the Message Bible. And this is, I'm going to be done when I finish it. I really see D-O-N-E, done. I'm going to be done when I finish this. But I, I felt like I needed to get it out in one fell swoop, if you'll forgive me for that. If you'll forgive me for that. Uh, I, I didn't want to dissect it and come back again. Because God has called you to something great. Something great. You know, we are sons of God. And do you know that Jesus Christ, what he has purchased for us, is, is eternal salvation, but eternal sonship. That is, that we are not sons of God just by adoption. Yeah, we are adopted. But we are sons of God by birth. We've been born again. We've been born again. And one thing I know, it, it, I know somebody said, well, if you adopt somebody, you can't. Well, I'll tell you what. If I adopt somebody, I can't say I don't want you anymore. But if, I, if you're my child, you came from my body and your mom's body, I can't unson you. And to forever and ever, we're going to rule the whole of the universe with Jesus. We have to be righteous as he is righteous. We can't have our own opinion that goes against God. And so I'm asking you to join me in just being a Christian. Now listen, let's read these few verses uh, from um, uh, the Message Bible. I don't know who this old boy is, but uh, I, I like his, him sometimes. Let's read him. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see, eternal power. For instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were Ill illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hand for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. 
The God we bless. The God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men. All lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. That's how they paid for it. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they are spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. God is kind but not soft. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger to others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you have done. This is what the Bible is saying. Is that those of us who are saved by the blood of Jesus are not called to point fingers and bash at people. I've given you just uh, maybe one example of, of me dealing with homosexuals. I have many. You've never known they were because I never pointed them out and I never risked losing them and hurting them because of somebody's wrong attitude. I've had them in my office, the same office that many of you have been in. And I've wept that I had to tell them, you can't remain that way and serve in the church. I wept, but I've said that to heterosexuals and homosexuals. You can't just live with her and think that I'm going to put you uh, on the eldership list. I don't even want you serving coffee in the coffee cafe. That's how I've been. But you never knew they were homosexual. You never knew because I didn't want to hurt them. And I said to one, I may have said it in this service, but I said to one, when that person kept insisting, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you. I said, wait, wait. And so finally, I said, I'm going to tell you. I said, I already knew you were. I said, but that wasn't important to me. Your heart is what was important to me. God loves you, and I love you. If, if a child of mine were caught in this, like you are, I would want them to go to somebody who loved them and not just finger pointed. Yeah. That's what God is saying. 
He's not saying to us, give in and tell them that you're okay, baby. Just stay the way you are. No. Love them by telling them the truth. When you participate in unrighteousness, you become a truth suppressant. Don't suppress the truth. You can lovingly tell people the truth. There was a young man in our city who came to this church for a good while. And I knew he was struggling with homosexuality. And I would counsel with him and help him and try to talk to him. But he wouldn't stop hanging out with And so I loved him. He eventually left. I loved him every time I saw him. I was kind to him. And I saw him downtown in a protest. He was at a protest because one of our city councilmen had gotten into trouble by being just really brutal uh, with his uh, anti-homosexual view. And so I was down there too. And I saw him. And he had a t-shirt on with two men kissing. And I, and I said to him, I called his name and I said, why are you wearing that? Don't wear that. I'm a, homo, I'm a heterosexual and I, I wouldn't wear a, a shirt with a man and a woman kissing. It's just not proper. You shouldn't do that. And he started to say something uh, uh, in defense and I, and, and I said, you know that I love you. And he dropped his head and he said, Pastor, I know you do. That's what God wants from us. Not corroborating with them, not agreeing with them, but being God's messenger, God's love language to them. I'm going to be back in a minute.